everyone. Thank you for joining today's episode of Path to Progress, a podcast by educators for educators. I am Terry Marks, a senior researcher at the American Institutes for Research, where Progress Center is housed. In today's episode, we're going to hear from center educators and residents, Amanda, Cassandra, and Chris, discussing uh, their thoughts around some of the challenges and creative solutions that we have to ensure that we are programming our supports around a student's unique needs. Our discussion today begins with Chris Colosimo as he summarizes this common scenario and the team shares possible solutions. Um, we want to just kind of remind you all that we know IDEA requires the student's IEP to be developed solely based on the unique needs of the student, but there are challenges to do so. And so today's conversation is really going to focus on challenges and creative solutions uh, to support our learners and uh, to support educators in developing high quality educational programs for students with disabilities. Let's listen in. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Today's question that we're going to be tackling is, um, you know, every student is unique. How do you make sure that you're truly describing how you will individualize special education aids and services in the IEP and not base decisions solely on a child's disability category or uh, service delivery models that we have available? Uh, no, I uh, I struggled with this question um, just because there's so many factors that go into play with this question, right? Like, it, I want to say it's all about the student, right? And I think we all do. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't always turn into that because we also have to look at who do we have available, what's available, what are their skills, where are the students at? There are so many variables that go into it. So it's almost like individualizing that instruction is based off of what's available around them. And so that's why I really struggle to answer, answer this question. I think maybe I'm just conditioned this way um, because of the role I play in this, in my district. I tell teams whenever I come to the table because they express exactly what you're expressing right now, Chris, that, but we don't have a paraprofessional, but we don't have this particular program, but we don't have all of these things. And I always tell them to go back to what does the student need? And what we have to do is build into the IEP what the student needs. And then we have to figure out the resources on the back end. If that means at some point we have to provide compensatory services, then we have to provide compensatory services. But we develop the IEP for what the student needs because this student can leave any day and they don't have an IEP that speaks to what their true needs are. Um, when it came for, for me to look at this particular question, I always go back to explaining characteristics though. So I'm not looking at this student's disability and what is typically associated with it. I look at what are the experiences or how is this student presenting um, with whatever needs they have, right? And then describing what those particular things are in the IEP document and looking for solutions that way. So if we have a student who is going to need a scribe and they don't currently have a paraprofessional and there aren't any paraprofessional schedules who allow for them to also support a student, I explain to our um are explained to the team that we have to identify that this student needs a scribe 
And what we'll have to do until we can identify a specific body is maybe we're looking at substitutes to cover in this particular uh, way. Or um, we are looking at somebody else in the building who has a freed up schedule to kind of provide that level of support. Or we're looking at some preliminary ways we can provide some subscribing assistance, right? So just looking at the specific characteristics associated with a student and their needs and then um, identifying solutions as a team um, on how to best support them. But Chris, you are absolutely right. The team always goes to, but we don't have anybody in that classroom to cover inclusion, but we don't have um, a separate class for science. And it's always a huge issue because they're concerned about not being in compliance um, versus truly developing an IEP that reflects what a student needs are. I, honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head with the compliance because we always look back at, you know, compliance and can we offer this? Do we have this ability instead of actually looking at what the student needs? And we need to get past that. We, we truly do. And we need to make sure that we're developing for what that student needs. But then on that back end, like you talk about, how are we able to provide some of the resources that we don't have? And I know that that's a question that comes up from time to time, too. Do you have any thoughts on that? I actually do. I tell them like there isn't I, I have to think I don't know what, what this is called, but you know, everybody says there's no one way to skin a cat. Right. So if we come up with a, if we identify a need that a student has and let's say you're scribing, we don't just have to use a person to scribe. We can also look at some computer programs that can do this for us. So I always always go back to we identify a need and maybe we come up with multiple solutions. So if it's a resource that we don't have, how can we work within the things we do have to best support this student's needs? It doesn't always have to be the one thing that people would typically go to, which is an adult body. That's typically the issue. We don't have the, the personnel to meet a specific need. But there are a lot of software programs available, a lot of um, assistive technology that students can get access to that can do some of the things we're looking for a body to handle for them. There are a lot of strategies and um, uh, independent learning supports that can be put in place so that a student won't need a, a, a body. Because I truly find that a lot of the times when people are saying, but we don't have, it's they don't have the personnel. There are other things that we can look into. So I would, I just always suggest, okay, well, what can we do? If you don't have the personnel and this person needs X, what else can we do until we get the personnel? And sometimes we end up with the solution that, okay, actually we didn't need this person because we could end up doing this. So I look at it that way. It's definitely tough when you absolutely need the personnel, but there are instances where you can come up with other solutions to support a student. So what, what really sticks out to me, what you said was um, describing characteristics of the student and not necessarily programs or resources, right? But describe what they need. So that way when somebody picks up their IEP, they're like, oh, this is what they need. This is the way that we could provide this in this particular setting based off of our resources. Um, that That's absolutely perfect. I think I saw that in one of the tip sheets too um, through the Progress Center, which is, it, it makes sense though, when the way you say it like that, like let's, show what this student needs and then we'll figure out a way to be able to provide that once we know exactly why and what they need to have. Yep. One of the other things I, I said to um, looking back, um, a lot of people, let's say we're looking for a reading, a reading, like a, a reading 
um, program. I'm, you, I'm the identifying a reading program. Um, and one that comes to mind is like the Wilson reading program. A lot of people are always saying that um, this student needs something like a Wilson reading program. There are specific strategies associated with the techniques used in Wilson reading that teachers can use to support a student. So when we're developing this IEP to go back to that question, you're identifying what are those techniques or strategies that the student needs that's going to help them with their reading. And a lot of people don't think about that. So I tell people, too, to dissect whatever it is you're saying they need. If you're saying they need an adult, what is that adult going to be doing? And is there something else that we can put in place of the adult? If you're saying they need this Wilson reading program, what strategies or techniques can a general education teacher or a special education teacher provide that speaks to some of those techniques built into Wilson? so that we don't have to purchase a Wilson reading system if you can't purchase that right now. So really, truly dissecting some of those pieces and pulling out characteristics of programs, strategies, teaching techniques, instructional practices to, to really beef up the support that we're providing the student specifically and not looking at um, the, the needs so much. How do we support? What else can we do? <laughs> Yeah, Cassandra, <clears throat> and on the flip side of that, like on the educational leadership side, right, we look at that and say, when our teachers are really digging into those programs and understanding what those programs have, we're building the capacity and capabilities of them to be able to say, hey, this is exactly what I am doing. Now, I'm not just giving the Wilson reading program, I am providing X, Y, and Z. Yep. Absolutely. You know, I, I kind of want to, I want to jump in because um, this is... I keep I keep hearing things that sound fantastic um, in the sense that we have to, as special educators, be super creative. We have to think outside of the box. We have to be extremely flexible. Um, and and then on the flip side of that, we sometimes we are we just have limitations. And so I think about when I had, 36, 37 students on a caseload and somebody, you know, it's February and I'm adding my 38th student on my caseload. And at times it really feels like it's just becoming a numbers game. And unfortunately, the the service matrix where I'm putting, you know, where is the is the specially designed instruction taking place and how often is the specially designed instruction taking place? I feel like I get stuck between a rock and a hard place because based on the individual students needs, I want to be able to provide them with that specially designed instruction where they need it and for the amount of time that they need. Um, but then the pushback on that is I don't know how or when I'm going to be able to do that. And so I feel like administrators need to hear this and not just administrators because our money doesn't come just from the school district, although it does in, in some respects. Um, districts have to make a decision about where they put money, but a lot of times it just felt like we were not, we were not being heard um, as, as teachers, as educators, and a lot of teachers just sort of make do, right? They, we, we get so creative, um, but I feel like this becomes a really serious issue and we need everybody from the very top, like people in politics and legislation who are providing us with funding down through administrators who are, 
in determining what the budget looks like to make sure that we have all the resources that we need. Because we have these mandates for creating these IEPs and then you have the reality of what that looks like. And I can only be so creative with the time and personnel that I have. And I need resources too, like Cassandra, you were talking about the Wilson Reading Program. I want all the resources because just because a student has an IEP in reading and the other student has an IEP in reading doesn't mean that they need the same resource. And so I need all the resources. And that was another, that felt like a struggle as well, asking for, you know, doing all the research, what is going to assist this particular student and then not being able to, to, to get that, um, not having the resources that I need. So everything that you guys said is true, but as a classroom teacher, sometimes I feel like I can't, I, I wasn't able to always make that a reality. And so I wish ed all administrators everywhere and all legislator, legislators everywhere heard this. So let's just send this podcast to them. I think that it's, it's um, I, I want to say, though, I think that it's interesting that you take the onus as the special educator and we don't look at the team as the approach that we use to support students. So when saying the special educator is, is basically um, bearing most of the brunt of, of the work, I think that speaks to a lot of the professional development and a lot of the training that's needed in terms of ensuring that general education, general educators, related service providers, and everybody who is truly a part of the IEP team are um, pitching in to provide some of the services and supports that are needed. We don't always have to identify a special education teacher as the service provider for specific strategies, interventions, and supports. Um, so I think it's really important that we also look at that when we're developing an IEP and um, speaking to how we're going to best support students. Um, going back to the question, in that we are looking at the different areas where the support can be provided, supplementary aids, related services, um, specific specially designed instruction, all of those different pieces um, can speak to how we're providing that level of support and no one person is responsible for implementing the IEP. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna just chime in here because I've heard a couple different things, right? We've been having conversations around like barriers and solutions to really ensuring that we're putting together a program for a student that is going to address their unique needs. I heard Chris talk about compliance, right? That, that, that word with a capital C or a little c, depending on how you wanna kind of talk about it. Um, but I think one of the, the other things that, um, to your point, Amanda, that legislators need to hear, that administrators need to be cognizant of as they're supporting their special education personnel is that compliance is not just about checking boxes, right? It's not just about did we follow this particular timeline? Was the parent present at the meeting? You know, all of those different pieces that we think we tend to think about. Um, but compliance, if we really dig deep and think through um, a lot of the work that has been happening lately since the 2017 U.S. Supreme Court decision in Andrew F., is that if we just have compliance and the students still not making progress, then we still have not done our jobs, right, as public educators, um, as, as educators in general. And so making sure that the message becomes it's not just about 
meeting the the timelines and checking those boxes and making sure that we can staff things appropriately so that we don't get dinged later. Um, for those of you listening, I was using air quotes around dinged because it really is this, you know, this notion of um, a compliance like we're going to get hit on that. That's going to leave a, a a bad mark on our our record as as a school, as a district. Um, and we really need to kind of push people to think about no, what we're designing is a program that is supposed to result in the kid making progress in the general education curriculum. And so I think that mindset shift has to happen as well. And then the other piece that I heard you all talking about in relationship to um, us needing to use a multidisciplinary approach um, is this and also making sure that we are, uh, you know, Cassandra, as you were talking about, making sure that we are not just putting in the, the needs, but also talking about how can we be kind of creative around this um, is ensuring that whoever is identified as the LEA representative on that IEP team actually has the authority, right? And that is the hard part. Um, so I'm gonna just pull up the IDEA language around what that means, because I think it's often just misinterpreted that they just we just have to have somebody that is there that's representing the school, but really what they're what the law is intending for that person in that particular role is that they have the ability to make decisions related to funding, make decisions related to how they can shift personnel around. Um, so while I'm pulling that up, I'd love to hear anybody's thoughts just kind of in reflecting so that, you know, uh, I'm not the one doing all the talking right now. Are you are you talking about a district rep, Terry? Oh, okay. Because yes. that's, I mean, you know, in one district it was they just have to have this training and in another district it's sure you can do it. Anybody can do it. <laughs> so <laughs> that language would be great to have right now. But um, yeah, I mean, Cassandra, for sure, you know, I definitely uh, collaborated with people in this school, you know, for sure, general education teachers, you know, especially it was when there's a student who has an executive functioning need, right? Teach the teach the teacher how to work with the student, teach the student how to work with the um, with the tools themselves. Um, or I used, you know, technology or some some kind of um, online based program, but all of those require resource. You know, it it all requires teacher buy in or some form of resource or something like that. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, Terry, for us, the commitment we always put like in our procedural manual that whoever is identified as the local district representative at the meeting is someone who can commit to services on behalf of the district or on behalf of the school. So there's specific language in our procedural manual that talks about the different roles and responsibilities and how serious it is to identify this particular individual to do it. But in the same breath with identifying whoever the local district representative is going to be, if it is not an administrator, then oftentimes these individuals need to go back and relay the information that was communicated at the IEP meeting. And if they aren't somebody who's very diligent, they may or may not follow up with the specific things that have been named. So if they inadvertently name 
in the program, you now have to be on your administrator to um, get this get this program that the staff needs. But we try very hard in our district to make sure that whoever has been identified as the local district representative, they understand what this means. You are committing your school, you are committing your district to providing services that you wrote in this IEP. And I love that, you know, that's the language that you're using in your manual, Cassandra, because I was just able to pull up the IDEA federal regulations. Um, and as it's talking about the IEP team, it mentions that there's a representative of the public agency who, one, is qualified to provide or supervise the provision of specially designed instruction to meet the unique needs of children with disabilities, two, is knowledgeable about the general education curriculum, and three, is knowledgeable about the availability of resources of the public agency. And I think like that last piece is the piece that tends to kind of get pushed aside, but in this conversation around barriers to providing services, right, in terms of personnel, in terms of um, other supports that we have to have in place to meet the unique needs, right, we have to have that person who can really say with certainty, yes, we can commit to these resources or we're going to figure out a way on, on, on how to do that or how, as Cassandra, you were describing before, we need to be a little bit creative. Um, I actually have a situation where as a district representative for the entire district and not like the school-based representative when someone from the district wasn't present, I experienced, um, uh, um, I don't want to call it a mediation, but um, an IEP meeting where there was an advocate present and there were services as a newer district representative that I didn't know existed for my school district. And the advocate was privy to this information. And I had to delay the IEP meeting and come back because I was identified as the district representative, but I was never privy to all of the resources that we had available within district to support students. And I think that's an issue we also run into that even the local district representatives, if there's a hierarchy of named um, LEA representatives, people aren't privy to everything that they're able to get their hands on in, within their specific school district. It may not be something that you have within your school, but at your um, local network or your um, the local district area that can provide or allocate resources for specific departments, be it literacy, math, or your actual special education department at your district, there are resources available there that teachers may not be privy to so they don't ask for certain things or they try to figure out how to reinvent the wheel um uh basically amanda i i i seen that in myself like i was not privy to an entire program that we had that students can go to if they had a specific need didn't know about it and um the advocate was so i think it's also about um preparing and um as you said um uh, amanda providing the training necessary so that people know what's available in their district, what's available within my school. Because sometimes even within the school, special education teachers don't know that, oh, our middle school team bought this particular program for X, Y, and Z. And it may be the perfect program for what it is you're describing as a student need. And it's not something you have to buy as a resource. Um, if there's a separate IEP chair or case manager, as they call them in my district, they might not even be privy to some of the different 
uh, resources that are available at the different areas. So I think training is definitely necessary for whoever that individually is committing to some of the services. And we had a, um, we actually created a document, a spreadsheet that had all of the resources that um, we had available to us and what they could be used for. So it was reading comprehension or, you know, what have you, phonological awareness, so that if a new teacher walked in, they could get this list, this spreadsheet, and that at least is a starting point. That's good. Thank you, Amanda, Cassandra, and Chris for sharing your very candid and honest remarks related to programming for students' unique needs. Um, it is a challenge. We have a lot of limitations out there, but I think with the, the strategies that you all identified in terms of really focusing back on characteristics, what is it that the student needs and how do we provide that? Um, I think we can engage uh, together um, as a team and make sure that we are pulling together a program that truly addresses those unique needs. So thanks again, listeners, stay tuned for our next episode of Path to Progress. The Path to Progress is a production of the Progress Center funded by the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Special Education Programs. Learn more at promotingprogress.org.